Is politics a war or is it a marriage? I've been thinking about this a lot lately because I I constantly am thinking in analogies. And when you look at how we behave politically, at least some of our more, what would you say, um, unrestrained politicians, or at least how we often talk to each other in social media or um, in when we're not being our best selves, talking to people across the aisle. To me, it reminds me so much of uh, a poorly functioning marriage in that it's endlessly, we're spent endless amounts of time criticizing our partner or the other side in this case. And um, very little time criticizing ourself, our own side. And I'm like, oh, that seems like I've been in that state in a relationship before. And so anyway, that's been, I was impetus for this is just, it just, I can't help but see the analogy. And I, this is not at all unique to me. This is not a novel analogy anybody's come up with, but I think it actually does matter what metaphor we choose for what politics is. Is it a war or is it a marriage? Because in a war, the way we put that is we're right, they're wrong, wrong and we need to win. That's kind of the outlines of the war mentality of politics, right? In a marriage, well, first off, <laughs> we're going to live, we can, we're going to be living together forever. We're never going to defeat our our husband or wife or spouse. Um, and we need to find ways to constructively work together, somehow utilizing each other's different talents and perspectives uh, and not just constantly grow farther apart. Because, um, yeah, I mean, that's kind of what we're tasked with in a marriage. And so to me, it, it, it's really important what metaphor we use to guide our understanding of politics. Um, yeah. Again, I can't help but come back to the analogy between if you look on like if you look on CNBC or CNN and just constant, constant, constant uh, display of the hypocrisy and badness and uh, stupidity and meanness of the other side, uh, and then of course the opposite on Fox News or whatever. I can't help but just think of a, a partner who's just in a marriage is spending all their time just ruminating and ruminating and ruminating on how their partner is just ruining their lives and their partner doesn't do what they say they're going to do and their partner doesn't do the dishes and their partner never pays attention to them and their partner is just always thinking about themselves and just we're just caught in in the head in the head in the head thinking about um about that and it just seems like such a clear analogy to me so anyway um I thought, let's just explore it. Let's just ex- explore what would it mean to take seriously the analogy of politics as a marriage. And so I said, okay, what's the, who, what are some of the big principles in marriage? And what, the place I went to is the Gottman Institute. You might have heard of these people, the Gottman, G-O-T-T-M-O-M-A-N. Some of the foremost thinkers on marriage and researchers on marriage. And they have a whole practice, you know, very big practice of um, marriage, like marriage counseling. And they have these, this concept of the four horsemen of marriage, uh, the horsemen being, you know, horsemen of the apocalypse, the, the bringers of the end, uh, the things that we, we got to avoid and are very bad signs in a marriage. Um, so the first one is criticism and crit- criticism in this context means something more like an ad hominem attack. So we were not just criticizing a behavior or complaining about a pattern of behavior in some way your partners let you down, but you're attacking them as a person. Um, and they are. They're not, they didn't just let you down, but they're selfish and, um, 
they're a bad person for, you know, the, what they've been doing to you. So it's the ad hominem attacks. And I think we can certainly see um, a lot of that in the political world as well. So the second horseman, and I think the most important one uh, for our purposes today is contempt. And I'm just going to quote the, the Gottman Institute here. I pulled this off their website. So it says, the second horseman is contempt. When we communicate in a state, we are truly mean. Uh, i.e. we treat others with disrespect, mock them with sarcasm, ridicule, call them names, and mimic or use body language such as eye-rolling or scoffing. The target of contempt is made to feel despised and worthless. Contempt goes far beyond criticism. While criticism attacks your partner's character, contempt assumes a position of moral moral superiority over them. And, uh, yeah, maybe it's just me, but that's ringing a lot of bells with how we behave uh, in the political world. Um, and so the Gottman Institute goes on. This is really important. Research even shows that couples that are contemptuous of each other are more likely to suffer from infectious illness, colds, flu, et cetera, et cetera, than others due to weakened immune systems. Contempt is fueled by long simmering negative thoughts about the partner, which come to a head when the perpetrator attacks the accused from a position of relative superiority. And most importantly, contempt is the single greatest predictor of divorce. It must be eliminated. So that's pretty simple, right? If we're going to take seriously this idea of politics as a marriage between two sides, um, and I completely grant how ridiculous and simplistic that is, um, and you know, all analogies are flawed, and the more apt-sounding ones are often the most flawed because they delude us the most. But again, just just for argument's sake, to see if we can explore it. If we're going to take that seriously, it seems like contempt, the attitude, the emotion, the uh, inclination of contempt in politics. We have to treat that like a cancer because like the got, this is not just a, uh, it's not it, when Gottman Institute says that contempt is a single greatest predictor of divorce. They're not saying that at a hand, this is based on research they've done with thousands and thousands and thousands of couples. And so maybe that's a single greatest predictor of divorce in the political context too. And of course we have to ask ourselves, what does a divorce mean in this situation? We'll come back to that. Uh, the third horseman is defensiveness. You know, we all know that is not an unwillingness, inability to take any criticism. Um, and yeah, I think we, we, we've seen that. If you ever watched a political debate, I think you know exactly what that looks like. Uh, and then the fourth horseman is stonewalling. And so I'm going to quote them a little more, which is uh, stonewalling, which is usually a response to contempt. Stonewalling occurs when the listener withdraws from the interaction, shuts down and simply stops responding to their partner. Rather than controlling, sorry, confronting the issues with their partner, people who stonewall can make evasive maneuvers such as tuning out, turning away, acting busy, or engaging in obsessive or distracting behaviors. So this one's a little bit different, harder to map directly onto the political landscape. But I think it's, if you think about it for a moment, how many people do you know who say they lost friendships um, or even lost family members due to politics? And this is not just a... The sense that that's getting worse is not uh, unreasonable. I think there's a lot of empirics behind that. Um, a lot of polls are showing that as an increasing phenomenon of people losing friendships, people, you know, carving other people out of their lives, which is, you know, that's the most extreme version of stonewalling, isn't it? It's um, the, the interactions are not worth your time anymore. It just becomes too much to try to deal with it. So let's just not talk about it. Yeah. And so I guess even taking a step for a step back, uh, a very common way that families deal with politics when there's divergent political views in a family is we don't bring that up. Let's not talk about that. And, um, yeah, it keeps it under the rug for a while, doesn't it? 
so in, in, on each of these four horsemen, um, of course, there's an antidote, and that's what they use the the phrase that the the Gottman Institute uses. And so, the first one, the ad hominem attacks, it's pretty simple, right? Instead of attacking the the quality, the value of the person we're arguing against, who sees the world differently than we do, in this case, the our marriage partner and the left right divide in our politics, we we focus on their policies, and we don't call them. You know, we use less less personally attacking terms. Um, yeah. And I, mean, I think there, I think as I'm saying these things, I think a lot of people would, would vehemently, dis, vehemently, vehemently disagree with this conception because, you know, we're getting more and more into a place of where there's more and more moral clarity, it seems on both sides about the badness of the other side. And so ad hominem is becoming much more common ad hominem attacks that is. And, um, yeah, so I think it's um, what I'm trying to say is I think it's we we should try to counter that current, even when the current feels very strong. So let's focus on behaviors, um, policies, and not on attacking in ways that attack their personhood. Uh, and then with contempt, yeah. So it's the sarcasm, it's the eye rolling, it's the all those things that we digitally do and physically do. Let's just not do it. <laughs> it's like they said, it's the single greatest predictor of divorce. Um, and that the thing that comes with the contempt is that it, the implicit moral superiority. And so let's just, I guess the antidote to that would be um, recognizing that no one has a monopoly on morality. And so we cannot assume ourselves to be in a position of moral superiority. We cannot and should not. I'm just trying. I'm trying to say that and put that on for size. Yeah, and and I just want to point out that uh, you probably picked up on it too. That really interesting little tidbit they said that um, shop, uh, the, the research that showed that couples who have a lot of contemptuousness in their conversational habits are more likely to suffer from infectious illness. And I can't help but think about how the U.S. seemed to suffer disproportionately badly from COVID due to its, um, relative to its GDP, relative to its, our affluence. Um, and, and that has a lot, lot of factors there. Um, uh, you know, vaccination hesitancy, um, uh, the rate of obesity in our country, the rate of poverty, all these other things. Um, but it certainly does seem to correlate with what we have a lot of in our society, uh, political contempt. And I'm not, again, I'm not saying that that explains, all our COVID deaths or anything like that. I just think it's an interesting thing to think about. Does does contempt in a political climate, in a political relationship, a political marriage, again, I can come back to the analogy, does that weaken the, the kind of the immune system, the body politic? Yeah, anyway, it's something just a fun fun thing to think about. Well, maybe not fun, but interesting anyway. Um, and then defensiveness, of course, we have to be willing to be criticized. And... Um, yeah, when people make when people make the other side makes good critiques of us or of our side, we have to be willing to accept that. And even when they make bad ones, again, we try to find the best version of that critique. That's even a whole other uh, level beyond that, isn't it? That's that uh, steel manning versus straw manning we've talked about before. Um, and then the stonewalling, the antidote to that seems like finding healthy ways to build up our resilience 
to have difficult conversations. And that's true in a actual marriage or and in political marriage, in a the situation where we are confronted with people who see the world really differently than us. It takes it does take energy and resilience to handle those things, those conversations with grace. And we need to find those tools to build up our emotional resilience so we don't just go into that stonewalling or pulling back. Okay, so you know, I, I we explored a little bit of what are the big warning signs, the big red blinking lights you can see in a marriage, the four horsemen that the Gottman Institute calls them. And I think we can certainly see those uh, in, again, the marriage, uh, the political marriage in our society. Um, what else do we want to explore in this topic? One of the things I've been thinking about, um, I think I got this idea from, oh man, what's her name? Brene Brown. One of her books was this idea that we're all conspiracy theorists. And here's how I interpreted what she said. And I think this is decently in line with what she was saying. So I, I broke it down a little bit. It's like one point one, we locate the source of our problems outside of ourselves. This is, you know, the reason things are going wrong. And, and again, I'm going to try to phrase these into the terms of this, this political marriage, this, this uh, left, right divide we have in our country. We locate the source of our country's problems outside of ourselves on the other side. Two, we imbue the supposed source of our problems with malevolence and intention. Um, so like, for instance, if I'm, if I'm a Republican right now and inflation's going up, um, we blame Joe Biden for that and we imbue him with malevolence and intention. He wants, he doesn't care about us. Maybe not malevolence and intention, but certainly carelessness. Um, he doesn't care about us and that's why he's letting inflation go up. Okay, um, I'm just speaking as an example, right? And then three, the third point in this conspiracy theorist idea, we pull out tiny data points to try to weave together a legible tapestry of the world of, or our lives um, to try to match our incipient int intuitions as to the reason things went wrong. And we all do this, right? There's on left and right, we're, we're constantly pulling out little points, little data points to prove why the intuition that the other side has caused all the problems in our country is true. Um, and I think we do this in the whole point of going through this, this idea of conspiracy theories is that I think we do all these things in our own, in a marriage too, in a relationship too. So it's just try to strengthen, to round out this analogy of politics as a marriage. Um, okay. And then the last one is we seek pattern randomness and inc incoherence are unsettling. We don't like to just like, okay, coming back to the, the, the example of inflation, we want to blame somebody. We want to see why is inflation going up? We want to be able to see a tangible set of steps. Um, and the idea that it's the complexity of inflation is beyond our grasp um, and beyond our easy reckoning. It's nobody really wants to sit with that. Uh, and again, inflation is just one example. You can come up with all sorts of other examples about things that we perceive to be going wrong in our country. How, we perceive them to have come about usually from the other side and why we're not willing to let randomness or just, you know, bad luck be, um, not bad luck, just, just, you know, just the randomness of the universe, the complexity of the universe be a big force in that. Okay. So we went over that. It's kind of, they've kind of had a, just a big milieu of ideas about this, um, this idea of politics, the proper analogy for politics is a marriage, not a war, because that's, I guess that's my main claim is that we should choose that analogy. Um, we should choose the analogy of marriage and not the analogy of war. We get to choose. They're both just representations. They're both just, you know, ways of looking at the world, right? They're just glasses we can put on. 
They're not objectively true, obviously. And they both analogies have lots of flaws in them. Um, but I think overall, we can, we can see where our society is moving right now is that we're more and more people are adopting the mentality, the, the framework that politics is war. Um, and not literally war, but we're not that far off. Um, uh, you know, <laughs> if we look at what happened on January 6th, it's physical violence is certainly not um, at all um, far along around the corner. Okay, but we gotta we we gotta start poking holes in this thing, this this analogy, right? So let's just start exploring some of the questions that I've had that that are really tough to answer around this analogy. So question one: How does this theory of politics as a marriage interact, if at all, with pol- actual policy debates and programs? So like think about this this uh, climate deal that just got passed. They called it the Inflation Reduction Act, but it's actually primarily a climate. Uh, climate bill. Um, and it's in, enormously complex, right? There's all these subsidies and tax credits. Um, and it's paid for in this complicated way. One of the ways is, uh, they get a bunch of new IRS agents and find tax cheats. And it takes a lot of true expertise to craft a bill like that, to, to tackle this seemingly, you know, this problem of climate change and not to say that it's fully tackling or anything like that, but but what, it, what there's no there's no real correlation to something like that and then you know a marriage like so I think I guess my point is I don't think it works very well on that level I think there is politics and then policy and this analogy of marriage works well on the politics level i.e. how do we talk to each other as citizens how do politicians talk to us how do politicians talk to each other um but it's less about how do you craft good policy. I don't think um, you need to have this framework um, of a marriage, this, this analogy of a marriage to be able to craft a good policy. And I don't think it would help really either. Um, I don't think so anyway. But I don't. I also don't think the analogy of politics as a war is going to help craft good policy either. So it's more about our political discourse, how we, again, how we interact with each other, which for a lot of us, that is a big chunk of what we understand as politics is what is it like to talk to your uncle who disagrees with you? Like, or what is it like to talk to your high school friend who is constantly posting extremely conservative or extremely liberal stuff on Facebook for a lot of us politics is that is that way that we're interacting with each other. And it kind of sucks, right? None of us are happy in that. There's really bad stuff that we constantly have to are, are, are dealing with all the time in that discourse level. But again, politics also, you know, has a policy side to it where it's actually trying to solve real problems in the world. Um, it's trying to solve, you know, decrease child poverty It's trying to deal with climate change It's trying to, um, do any, any, I mean, deal with COVID, do any number of things. And so there's only, you know, it's hard to exactly express it or understand how politics, i.e. this discourse thing that we talk about, interacts with policy. But yeah, I think the marriage uh, analogy mainly works on that politics level. Um, okay, so I guess the biggest question out of this whole thing is, what would happen if we held our side and our political leaders to a higher standard than we hold the other side? Because that would, to me, almost be the gold standard of a marriage is it's so easy to find fault in our partner, right? We all know that it's so easy to, to just see, I can see so clearly all the way my partner is flawed and all the ways they've let me down or whatever. 
it's actually really difficult to do the same against ourselves and even more difficult to hold myself to a higher standard than we hold than I hold my partner. But if you think about it, it's so obvious that that's the only way a marriage is going to get better. A marriage is not going to get better by constantly criticizing, 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 criticizing our partner and not being willing to work on our own stuff. It's not to say that we can't honestly speak to when our partners let us down or they've hurt us. But I think we all intuitively know that the best way for a marriage to get better is, is to, I mean, the fastest way anyway, is to hold ourselves to a higher standard. And we hope that our partner does that too. And we have two people who hold themselves to, themselves and their themselves to a higher standard than they hold their partner. I can't, I can't help but see that that's going to get nothing but better. Right. And so, you know, this can take a lot of forms in the political realm. It could be, um, what kind of scandals are we willing to allow from our own side versus the other side? And most, both political sides now have, you know, basically taken the stance, um, that a scandal is only a scandal if it happens on the other side. You know, and there's a lot of, there are exceptions to this rule. This is not a hard and fast rule, but on average, that is the case. And so what if we flip it on its head? We are less willing to accept, accept scandalous behavior, corrupt behavior, um, sexual, you know, impropriety in our politicians and all this other stuff, hypocrisy, all these other bad traits we can see happening in politics. What would happen if we were less willing to accept it on our own side? And I think the, the, the cynical people would say, well, we have to hold our politicians to a slightly lower standard because our politicians have the right ideas. And if we let, if we, if we were constantly booting our politicians out because they act a little bit poorly in this way or that way, the, the other side's not going to do that. And then we're going to have politicians who are just as bad, you know, on the personal level. And they also, they have the wrong political ideas. <sighs> And um, when you say it that clearly, I think we can all see that that's, it's just, that's not, it's just, we're just doomed with that kind of mentality. We're doomed. A marriage cannot withstand that, that, that kind of, <laughs> that kind of double standard. I don't think. Anyway. Okay. Another question. How do you understand big issues like climate change under a metaphor like marriage? Because, you know, we, we're facing really, really big problems that we have to actually solve. And I think this is, you know, going back to that first question, which is the policy versus politics. Um, and I guess the only thing, the other thing I'll say about something like climate change is that our bad politics, i.e. The, the way that we criticize um, the other side, we, we, we don't allow criticism ourselves, the way we are softer on our own side than the, and harder on the other side, all these bad marriage habits we've built up, the way we're contemptuous makes uh, the job of coming up with policy to solve real problems in the world harder. Because just like in a marriage, in a marriage, when you just like a domestic marriage, you have real problems you have to solve. Like how are we going to put our kids through college or how are we going to afford a home that we want to buy or how are we going to fix a home we have? Those are real problems. And if you have a bunch of bad convert conversational discourse habits built up those four horsemen it's really going to impede your ability to come together and come up with solutions that uh, are going to address these actual real policy problems um yeah so i think it, that's where it, it the rubber meets the road on this whole thing is it matters how we talk to each other it matters how we see each other it matters with 
with what grace we what grace we give each other if we want to actually solve real physical problems. Okay, but what about the 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 fact that some partners are abusive? You know, in real life, you know, some in some marriages, you you are having an abusive partner, maybe physically abusive, maybe uh, psychologically abusive, sexually abusive, and what do you do with that? <laughs> well, obviously, you get the heck out, right? Um, and so, what about the fact that some people, some politicians on the other side of the aisle, are abusive? They abuse our trust. They lie. They're corrupt. They are venal. They have all sorts of myriad of personal flaws. Um, yeah, I don't quite know what to do with this point in the analogy. Like how to, when you, because sometimes the right thing to do in a marriage is to leave, right? If you have a, you know, if things have devolved that far and even if they haven't gone to that level, some people, people just grow apart. Um, yeah. I don't quite know what to do with it. And that brings us to the question of what does divorce even look like under this analogy? And um, I mean, the simplest answer is civil war, right? I think it can, but I think it, there's lots of bad, bad shit that it can look like before short of a civil war. And I think we're kind of living through that now. Friendships being, you know, uh, torn asunder, family relationships being torn asunder, people more and less and less likely to be, you know, associated with people of another political party and then political cooperation seemingly on the decline. But, you know, there's certainly outliers to every claim. Um, yeah. So there's a lot of weak points in this analogy. Um, and I guess the last question I'll have is, does all of this theorizing just end in, just ended in the, the proclamation, oh, we should just all be moderate and not choose a side. And I don't believe so. I think, again, this is that difference but that difference between policy and politics. You can choose policies that you think are better. Um, and that's totally rational because some policies are better to solve real problems. Uh, of course, we have to recognize that any solution to a problem is going to be constrained by the different values we have we place on the different weights we place on different values like freedom versus um equality you know people different people place different values on those two two things and so there's not like one universal solution to the problem of inequality but that being said again we can ha we can differ we can disagree in policy but the politics is where it's like a marriage we have to we're stuck together, you know, at the end of the day, we're stuck together. Right. And so we better watch the contempt. We better watch the ad hominem. We better watch our defensiveness. We better watch our stonewalling because we're just going to make shit worse and worse. Yeah. Anyway, I think there's a lot more to explore here and I'm sure I'm wrong on almost all of it, but I can't help but think that it's worth at least entertaining the thought a little bit more that maybe politics is not a war. Maybe it's a marriage. And uh, so we should be applying some of the principles of marriage psychology to it. Anyway, thanks for sticking with that. I know that was kind of rambly, but I do appreciate it. And uh, as always, hit me up at, uh, if you have any questions, feedback, think I'm an idiot, at happywhencurious at gmail.com. And thanks for listening. We'll see you next week on Happy When Curious. Mm -hmm.